This is a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com. Fun Kids Family Walks, Bristol and the Slave Trade. Hello and welcome to this Fun Kids Family Walk. Walking's a great way to get out and stay healthy and to find out more about the towns and cities we live in. Roads can be busy, so please take care on the walk, especially when it's time to cross a road. You can pause the audio whenever you want if you'd like to look around for a bit longer. Just restart the walk again when you're ready. You'll also hear an audio clue when we're moving between locations. Pause audio. Welcome to Bristol, a city famous for Brunel Suspension Bridge, its natural gorge and a vibrant history of music and street art. But if we go back to the 17th century, we find a much darker history connected to Britain's slave trade. And that's the theme for today's walk. It seems almost impossible to believe, but Britain was responsible for transporting over 3 million people from their African homelands to other countries far away to be slaves. Unpaid and poorly treated workers. Of those 3 million, over half a million were moved on boats from Bristol. Now, whilst that was a very long time ago, we can still see remnants of this dark history in the city. And by learning about it, we can make sure not to repeat the terrible mistakes of the past. We're starting our walk here at Bristol Temple Mead Station. Bristol Temple Meads was opened in August 1840, 33 years after the abolition of slavery in the UK. Although it was built after abolition, railways are part of a legacy of slavery part of an industrial revolution fueled by riches from global trade, of which slaves formed an important part. Factories were hungry for the goods arriving by boat, and the railways were vital to move goods inland, as well as take them to waiting ships for export to other countries. The station was built by the Great Western Railway, which linked Bristol with London. It was designed by Isambard Kingdom Brunel, the famous engineer, who was also responsible for the SS Great Britain and Clifton's world-renowned bridge. Bristol Temple Meads takes its name from the land on which it was built. In the 12th and 13th centuries, the land was owned by the Knights Templar, and Meads is an old word for meadow. Can you imagine this area as a meadow? Pause the audio walk if you want to have a look around, and then restart it so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Ready to move on? And on the lookout for some sailors... Our next stop is Lower Guinea Street by the harbour. If you fancy getting in a nautical mood, you can catch a water ferry from Temple Quay to Bathurst Basin. If you'd like to catch the ferry, exit the station to the north and walk through Friary to the ferry stop. To get the ferry to stop, raise your hand and have your fare ready. If you're walking, here are the directions. Walk southwest on station approach. Turn right onto Temple Gate and then slight left onto Radcliffe Way. Go straight across at the roundabout, bear left and continue onto Lower Guinea Street. Pause the audio, walk until you get to Lower Guinea Street and then restart the audio when you're ready. Welcome back. We're on Lower Guinea Street by the Bathurst Basin. Winding its way from the waterfront, Guinea Street might seem like many other quiet roads around the docks. This road was at the heart of the slave trade and was home to some of the most notorious slave traders. You can see how being near the waterfront was handy for the traders to manage their business. Even the name of this street has a connection to the slave trade. Guinea is a modern country in West Africa, but in the 18th century, 
It was a name used by traders for the whole of Africa's west coast. And the guinea was also a famous gold coin that took its name from the gold brought from the Guinea coast by the Royal African Company. Another interesting place to see is the unusually named Ostrich Pub, which was built in 1745. Some say it was named after the famous African bird. Or perhaps it's a hodgepodge of a nearby site known as Oyster Reach. It was probably a busy place, full of sailors, and therefore a great place to find a crew for the slave ships and have a drink. Pause the audio walk if you want to have a look around and then restart it so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Ready to move on? We're going to Queen Square and on the way we'll pass the famous Redcliffe Caves. Rumour has it slaves were kept here although it's more likely they were used as stores for the slave ships. The colourful houses on Redcliffe Parade West were once owned by Thomas King, a merchant who traded heavily in palm oil, ivory and redwood. Walk past the front of the ostrich pub and follow the harbour side until you reach a road bridge crossing the water. Walk across the bridge and on the other side go straight over the mini roundabout and stop on the corner of Queen Square, just outside the Hole in the Wall pub. It's around a 10 minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to Queen Square and then restart the audio when you're ready. Welcome to Queen Square. You'll have had a good opportunity to look at Bristol's harbour on your way here. It was an important port since the 13th century for trade of all sorts. And for a while, it was the second biggest port in the UK after London. But as we know, Bristol ships didn't just transport goods. They transported slaves, men, women and children between West Africa, the Americas and Europe, with many forced to work on plantations across the Caribbean. Conditions on the slave ships would have been awful. The ships would have been filthy, and people would have been packed in like sardines, chained to the decks in cramped rows, and forced to live in their own waste and amongst the sick and the dying. They would not have all spoken the same language, and would probably not have ever seen the sea before, far less an enormous ship. As you can imagine, it was hard to find crews for these terrible ships. Conditions were poor, and the risk of illness and death was high. Sailors, therefore, had to be press gang to join a ship. Some would be bribed, perhaps to pay a beer debt. Others were threatened or even just kidnapped. On the dockside of the Hole in the Wall pub, you can see where there would have been a spy house, a room where a lookout could keep watch for the press gang. Let's move a little further on into Queen Square itself. This was home to many of Bristol's 18th century merchants and shows how rich Bristol must have been during that period, not least as a result of the slave trade. Number 29 is one of the best preserved original buildings. The distinctive Red House was built in 1709 for Nathaniel Day, a slave trader who went on to become mayor of Bristol. In time, it became home to another merchant and mayor, Harry Bright, who lived with his slave known as Bristol. Across the square is the Grand Columned Custom House. You'll find custom houses in many ports. It's where officers made sure that everyone arriving paid the correct amount of tax. From the sheer extravagance of this custom house, you can see just how much trade there was coming through Bristol. Pause the audio walk if you want to have a look around, and then restart it so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Ready to move on? 
We're off to Perrow's Bridge. Let's go! We're going to leave Queen Square by Royal Oak Avenue, which is just along from where we entered. Walk down the road and cross over Prince Street into Files Lane, heading towards the harbourside. In front of you will be a distinctive bridge with two foghorn sculptures. It's around a five-minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to Perrow's Bridge, and then restart the audio when you're ready. Welcome to Perrow's Bridge. Now, it might look a bit out of place compared to some of the old buildings we've seen, but it's to commemorate a real person as a monument to those who were enslaved themselves. While most slaves would end up in the Americas, a small number came to Bristol. Some were owned by ships' officers. Others were the personal servants of plantation owners who had decided to settle in Bristol. Can you imagine someone owning you or your family? One such enslaved man was Perro Jones. In 1783, his master brought him from the Americas. As there weren't many people in Britain from Africa at that time, Perrault would have been thought of as unusual. He lived in Bristol until he died in 1798, and it's unlikely that he ever gained his freedom. Perrault's bridge marks the entrance to the modern harbourside and was built as a reminder of the city's brutal part and all those affected by the slave trade. Pause the audio walk if you want to have a look around, and then restart it so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Ready to move on? We're going to Old Bank at 37 Corn Street. On our way, we'll pass the empty plinth of the statue of Edward Colston. He was a merchant, trader and Member of Parliament, and you'll see his name on many buildings around Bristol. We'll find out more about him later and why the statue is no longer there. Cross over Perrow's Bridge and turn right, past the harbourside cafes and bars. When you get to the end of the water, cross over the plaza and turn left onto Broad Quay. Watch out for buses along the stretch. At the junction with Baldwin Street, you'll see a pedestrian road off to your right called Clare Street. Take this street and follow it as it becomes Corn Street. Number 37 is on your right. Look out for a plaque saying Old Bank. It's around a 10-minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to Old Bank, and then restart the audio when you're ready. Welcome to Old Bank. Still a bank today, just a nat west. The slave trade wasn't the only thing which made Bristol rich, although its influence permeated into almost every corner of the city. There were many glassworks and sugar refineries across the city by the mid-17th century. Glass was handy to transport brandy and rum, which was traded in West Africa for enslaved Africans. Sugar was imported from the plantations worked on by enslaved men, women and children, and was brought back to Bristol to be processed. With all that money flowing through, banks were important to keep it safe, and so the old bank was founded in 1750 by wealthy tradesmen. By 1811, there were 13 different banks around Bristol, all issuing their own banknotes. Corn Street would have been a busy place for all traders, sharing the latest news and doing deals in the coffee houses. While you're here, Take time to explore St Nick's Market and look at the emblems above the door. They represent the relationships we had with the other colonies at this time. Pause the audio walk if you want to have a look around and then restart it so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Ready to move on? We're off to the Bristol Beacon next. Let's go! Go back down Corn Street and rejoin Baldwin Street. Follow Baldwin Street to cross over at St Augustine's Parade and then turn right. 
After 80 metres, turn left on Colston Street and then left onto Pipe Lane. The modern building is the Bristol Beacon. It's around a five-minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to the Bristol Beacon, and then restart the audio when you're ready. Welcome to the Bristol Beacon. This is an internationally acclaimed concert venue, which changed its name in 2020, having been known originally, and for over 150 years, as Colston Hall. You may have seen that Colston is a bit of a recurring theme in Bristol. Colston Avenue, Colston Street, Colston Tower, Colston Hall. So, who was this Colston? Edward Colston was born in Bristol in 1636. He was a merchant from London who made his fortune from slavery, as one of the owners of the Royal African Company. You might remember from Guinea Street that they procured the gold for coins from West Africa. As well as being a merchant... Colston was a philanthropist. That's someone who uses their money to help others. He funded local schools, almshouses, hospitals and church restorations across Bristol. So that's why he became so well known and why for many years many Bristolians would have wanted to celebrate and commemorate him. There's even a Colston Day on the 13th of November. However, today those who profited from slavery are no longer seen as admirable. Quite the opposite, in fact to have caused so much devastation and death to those who were enslaved, and have made huge amounts of money from it. However, that money was spent. So there are conflicting feelings about this famous Bristolian. So strong was the division of feelings about Edward Colston that his statue was pulled off its plinth by protesters in 2020 and thrown into the harbour. I wonder what you think. Pause the audio walk if you want to have a look around, and then restart it so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Ready to move on? Let's go! We're en route to the last stop on our tour, the Georgian House Museum in Great George Street. Walk up Pipe Lane to the left of the Beacon and then turn left into Frogmore Street. Continue until you see a road bridge. Just before the bridge, go up some steps to the road above. Turn right onto Park Road and follow it up until you reach St George Street on your left. Turn onto Great George Street and continue to number 7 on your left. It's around a 10-minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to Great George Street, and then restart the audio when you're ready. Welcome to the Georgian House Museum. This museum gives you a taste of the sort of life that you could have enjoyed as a wealthy Georgian merchant, such as those we've been finding out about. Rich from, well, selling men, women and children. The money helped families achieve high office in politics and gain influence in high places and many were philanthropists who used their wealth for the common good. As you can see, though, it couldn't be more different to the life of a slave, ripped away from their homelands, forced on perilous and brutal journeys to work unpaid and infrequently harsh and dangerous conditions. Number 7, Great George Street, was built in 1783 by John Pinney, who was the owner of Perro Jones, who we met earlier. Pinney made a vast fortune with sugar plantations in the Caribbean, and a sugar-importing business in Bristol. Things, though, were never quite going to stay the same. While merchants might have wanted slavery to continue, there was a growing and militant abolitionist movement who were working to get a change in the law and abolish the slave trade. In fact, Bristol was the first city outside London to set up a committee for the abolition of the slave trade. In 1807, government passed an act for the abolition of the slave trade. The act prohibited the slave trade in British territories, but didn't abolish the practice of slavery. 
It wasn't until the Slavery Abolition Act in 1833 that all slaves in the British Empire were finally granted their freedom. That's the end of this walk around Bristol. I hope you've enjoyed taking a look back in time with me, even though it's time now for me to go. Thanks for joining me, and hopefully I'll see you again soon. Fun Kids Family Walks. For more information on what to see and do, visit funkidslive.com walks. So that was a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com. I'm James Stewart, and in Saving Planet Earth, I'm going to be joined by some of the world's top scientists to introduce you to some of the weird and wonderful ideas being trialled to try and save our planet. Led, of course, by your questions. Hi, James. I know that climate change is affecting our oceans. Is there anything that's being done to look after it? And one of the solutions involves dolphin poo. (laughs) This is Saving Planet Earth. Available wherever you get your podcasts.